feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. All right. Welcome to Bible study, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for coming out tonight. I'll take a few moments and pray and then get started with our Bible study time. So let's pray, Father, thank you for a time and a place, a reason to get together to hear from you. We ask God that you would speak and we'd have ears to hear. We thank you, God, that you choose to communicate with us, you choose to teach us, you choose to bring revelation into our lives, you choose to Instruct us in your way to teach how to live. So, God, I thank you for that. And I thank you for your presence here tonight. I pray that we would be wide open to receive what you want to say and what you want to show us. I ask you, God, that we would be open to how you want to speak, whatever way that is. If you want to speak through vision, speak through vision. If you want to speak, God, through the words that are spoken, speak. God, if there's a still small voice that you want to use and speak into us as individuals, I pray, God, we'd have ears to hear. But I pray, God, that you would take hold of this time and that we would be open and ready to receive. God, have your way. Have your way. And I pray, Father, this would be a time where you're glorified. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 If you have your Bibles, we're going to open up to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 22. Coming to the end of David's life. Yeah. He done got old. 2 Samuel chapter 22. Second Samuel chapter twenty two verse twenty five. Any volunteer to read that? The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the fruit of my hands. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. 
Thanks for reading that. I appreciate it. And this is all part of uh, this one verse. It's part of a, a bigger passage of Scripture, and if you want to look that over, feel free to go on back up to the beginning of chapter 22 and go right to the end and just look over what's going on there. But it's a bigger piece of the Scripture that is a psalm. It's a, I know it's not in the book of Psalms, but it's a psalm that David is expressing, singing something that he had written, and he is singing this to God on a day of his deliverance, that uh, God had delivered him from his enemies, or as it says in other parts of the song, he delivered him from the haters. The haters. Yeah. Because there were plenty of people that didn't like David. Uh, we look at him and think, oh, what a great guy. Other people didn't like him. It's kind of anybody. Uh, if you read the Bible and you look at the Bible, it's like people, oh, what a great guy. But there's always somebody that doesn't like him. I mean, best example of that is Jesus. Jesus was a very polarizing figure. And we can look at Jesus and say, well, yeah, he's awesome. We love Jesus. Jesus is the best. Jesus died for us. We have no closer friend than Jesus. Jesus is is the is, is, is beloved of us. All right. I mean, we love Jesus. Yay! I like Jesus. But you know, people the people didn't like Jesus back then. Some of them didn't. How do you know that? Well, they beat him and crucified him. Yeah, that's right. They uh, they arrested him, they beat him, and they crucified him. Uh, they, yeah, they killed him. So, they, they weren't too happy with him. And we know that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the council, they weren't too happy with Jesus. They didn't like Jesus very much. And so there's always people that are going to be haters. And I don't care how perfect you are. Jesus was perfect. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. Sinless. And people still hated it. And just let that sink in for a second. Oh, if I was a better person, people would like me more. No. No. No, Jesus proves that's wrong. That's absolutely incorrect. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with you being a better person. It has nothing to do with you being more holy or more righteous or more loving. Because He was holy and righteous and loving. More than we could ever attain. He was all those things. And they hated him, some people. So there's going to be haters. That's the way it is. And, and so I, I really encourage you to begin to move away from those kind of mindsets. Where you look at your life and it's like, oh, these are all my shortcomings. This is why this happens and that happens. I doubt it. We all have our shortcomings. And you look at in the Bible, we got one example of someone, a person a living person who had no shortcomings. You've got one example of that. Now look at his life. He made it to 33 years old before they killed him. Yeah. So he was a polarizing figure. He was somebody that people loved or were willing to die for. They loved him that much. And then there were other people that hated him and wanted to kill him. And that's the way it was. So David was a figure like that also in the sense that, and, and of course David wasn't perfect. Jesus was perfect. David wasn't perfect. But there were plenty of people in David's life, even in his own family, who didn't like him. And that, that just has to be the case. You understand that. That 
that people aren't going to always like you and there's always going to be haters and there's going to be people that are going to resist you and there's going to be people that don't want anything to do with you and there's going to be people that are angry with you for no reason. Even people in your own family. And, and that's, that's, that's the human condition. That's the way it is. And so if you expect something other than that, it's unrealistic. Do you expect something other than that is a lie. Is a lie of the enemy designed to get you to beat yourself up. And you need to stop it. Stop the insanity. Stop that process in your life and let go. Because I'm telling you, if they're going to hate Jesus, they'll hate anybody. If they're going to hate David, pretty much they're going to hate anybody. And so understand that that's just a part of life. Even if it's somebody in your family. It's somebody in your family. Okay. It's part of life. Didn't they come to get Jesus to carry him away because they said he was crazy? Yeah. Who, who did that? His mother and his brother, sisters, you know, his family. His closest family came to get him because they declared him crazy and they were going to haul him off. That's Jesus. Now let that sink it. That's Jesus. Don't excuse it in your head. That's Jesus. Perfect, loving Jesus. That's who that was. And if that happens to him, why are we shocked that not everyone is in love with us? Because we are not perfect, and we are certainly not all that loving all the time like he was. And if they did that to him, what are they going to do to us? And so just uh, let that kind of sink in for a second, because I think that's an important part of what we're looking at tonight, because what I want you to begin to understand is David had a vision of his life. He had a way of seeing his life that we can learn from. And the vision that he had for his life took into account his whole life. It wasn't a moment. It wasn't just a, a period of time. It wasn't one interaction. It wasn't one thing that he took into account when he began to look at his life and he began to understand who he was. But it was his whole life. And in all that had taken place, all that had happened, where he had come from, the deliverance that God brought into his life all the way from the beginning with Goliath and, and moving through with Saul and moving past Saul and all the rest that happened to David. All of it. He took all of that into account. He could see that as this big picture definition of who he was. Because that's important. That's super important. People that end up kind of insane in their life, or maybe not even kind of, get stuck in moments. Hey, and I'm not, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm not even looking at anybody. I'm looking at the floor. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say to all of you is that if we allow ourselves to get stuck in a moment, in a moment that leads us to places of insanity in our lives. Our life is not made up of a moment but of many, 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 many connected moments. 
That's our real existence. And so we have to let that tendency to fixate go. We have to let that tendency to, to play things over and over and over again in our mind go. We have to allow for the fact that our lives are so much bigger and so much larger than any one moment that we happen to be facing. Any one decision, any one place that we found ourselves in. So much bigger than that. And God sees things. Think about how God sees things. He sees things from the very beginning to the very end. All at once. That's His perspective. That's the way He chooses to to view things. And yeah, He participates in our life today. I understand that. But that doesn't mean He doesn't see yesterday. And it doesn't mean He doesn't see tomorrow. Because He's participating with us today. And so His view is broad. His view is large. And as large as we can make our view, the better off we're going to be and the closer we're going to be to how God is seeing things. Every people pray that sometimes. Like, God, I pray that I can see from your perspective. Well, you better back up then. Because it's big. I pray I can see the things the way you see things. Well, okay. Give yourself some room. Because he sees things in a much bigger perspective than you do, than I do. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All at once. I mean, that, that's Jesus. He's not just the Alpha. He's the Omega. He's both. He's the beginning and the end. And so, it's not one perspective, it's the whole thing. And so that in and of itself is super important to keep in mind if we're going to begin to look at our lives, we're going to begin to define things in our lives as to who we are. I mean, like this whole verse, the reason it struck me was because of David's statement in it. Because you know what people do with David? You know, I, and I, I, I try not to do this as much as I can because I see David as a, a guy that God loved. I see David as a guy, a man after God's own heart, meaning that he was somebody that God chose to love and bless. And you look at his life and he was loved and he was blessed. Does that mean he never had any adversity? No, of course he did. But his whole life, if you look at his whole life, he was loved and blessed. His whole life. God's grace was all over him. God's mercy was all over him. God was doing great things in him, through him. Told him that you always have somebody on the throne forever. Made a covenant with him. Somebody that was chosen from a very early age. That God had plans for. That God had a future for. That God had, had said, this is who you're going to be. And fought through, even into his old age. And David chose to see his life that way. But I can't tell you how many times I've heard people preaching on the life of David. And they may be preaching about something that, that was going on in David's life that where God blessed him. Or they may be speaking of something where God delivered him. Or they may be speaking of some time that David was, was being patient. Or they may be speaking about some time that, that David was being obedient. Or they may be speaking of some time that, that David was living in God's order in his life. Or they may be speaking of some time where David showed mercy. Or they may be speaking of some time where David showed himself as a warrior. Or they may be speaking of some time that David had shown himself as a great king of wisdom or a worshiper or someone who was writing worship song, whatever. 
But I can't tell you how many times I've heard somebody preaching on David where they have to qualify their statement about David. <laughs> that David was this great man, or David was this person, or David is that. Of course, he, he had the problem with Bathsheba. And they qualify it every single time they bring it up. You know what? That's a clue, and I want you to hear this. That's a clue to the way we as human beings think. We fixate on the one thing. Okay, the man failed, committed murder, and we fixate on it. That's what I'm going to think about. What am I going to think about when I think of David? A whole book of stuff that guy was about, everything that God did in his life, and, and the great, miraculous, wonderful, God-loving things that happened to him, the blessings over his life. Are we going to fixate on the one thing, that little one thing? You want to fixate on that? You say, Andy, how can you say it's little? Well, you know how I can say that? Because I read these passages like in 2 Samuel 22. And here's why I believe that. I believe that was a moment in his life. And what happened? He repented, didn't he? Did he repent? Then we have a psalm describing his repentance. God forgave him, cleansed him, and he continued his life. That's the lesson you're supposed to learn from that. That's the lesson we're supposed to learn from that. You hear me? The lesson isn't, oh, David did this horrible thing, I know about it, so I'm just going to keep talking about it. The one thing he did. That's not the lesson. In fact, that's the anti-lesson. That's the lesson of the devil. That's the lesson of the enemy. That's the lesson of the lying, sneaking jerk that is Satan. That's his lesson. You learned that one well, didn't you? Be honest. You learned that one well, didn't you? You know what you need to learn? You need to learn about mercy. You need to learn about grace. You need to learn what it means to be forgiven. You need to learn what it means to move on. Nutbag. <laughs> Seriously. But David moved on. God moved on. Bathsheba moved on. Solomon moved on. Israel as a nation moved on. Good thing the church wasn't around then. We would have kept condemning him, condemning him, and condemning him until we ruined his life. But that's what the church does. Oh, don't forget about that one. That's why it has to be mentioned every time the man's name is mentioned in a church. The pastor has to say, has to qualify every statement with, yeah, but of course, this, this, and this. Get over it. God did. Get over it. David did. And I'm not trying to minimize it in, in, in whatever way you think I'm trying to minimize it. I'm just trying to minimize it the way that God minimizes it. The way that He minimizes your sin. The way that He minimizes my sin. The way that He forgives us. The way that we move on. Or we should. Because that's the lesson of the Gospel. That's the lesson of a graceful God. That's the lesson of mercy. And so here we have David, end of his life, you know, Second Samuel 22, talking about who he is. And, and what does he say about who he is? God has done what? He rewarded him according to his... Anybody? 
righteousness is right standing before God. Because if you look at David's life, that's the absolute truth. God rewarding him according to his righteousness. And that was his whole life. But that's the way God sees things. That's the way God sees things. Does that mean David was perfect? No. <coughs> but does it mean that he lived his life in such a way that that was reflective of who he was? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I don't see David someone who just got stuck on one thing and just stayed there. I think you have to see things in a bigger picture. I don't think God gets stuck on any one thing. Else we'd never get anywhere, would we? We'd never get anywhere. I mean, people even people who judge other people and talk about how righteous they are and how sinful these other people are. I mean, you look at their lives. They're not very righteous. They're not very loving. They're not very forgiving. They're not very anything that's the gospel. But then they'll tell you all about it. Well, God doesn't get stuck there. Let's not get stuck there either. I don't want to get stuck there. And so here we have David. And, and there's something to be said. Now, I want you to hear this. This is something, something written by a guy a long time ago, over 100 years ago. And they understood this. You think of people 100 years ago, you think, wow, they must have been really stuffy, right? You think that? Maybe they were. I don't know. But this guy wasn't. Here's what he said. He said, They that trust God in the way of duty will find him a present help when needed. In other words, what he's trying to say there is this, that if we will just serve God, go about it, then he's there for us when we need him. That, that we don't need to worry about it. That we just need to live our lives. We need to go about the business God's given us to do. Well, Andy, what about if I messed up here or here, messed up there? Are you going about what God gave you to do? Don't worry about it. You can't say that. People just go out and go nuts. No, they won't. Never seen that. Never seen that. Where you tell somebody you're forgiven. You tell somebody God will cleanse you. You tell somebody you're forgiven and, 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 and you're set free. Tell somebody that, that, that Jesus wants you to, to cleanse you from the inside out. You're not so worried about all the outside stuff right now. Let him cleanse your heart first. Let's see what happens on the outside later. You can't tell people that, Andy. They'll go and do stuff they're not supposed to do. I've been warned about that. I can't tell you how many times. Back when, especially when I was young, saying stuff like that. In my 20s, people were like, take me aside. So I'll take you aside. Mm-hmm. And explain to you how things really work. Well, <laughs> uh, I don't believe that. I never did. I believe Jesus, when he said, if you clean the inside of the dish, then the outside will be clean too. I believe Jesus, when he says, like, you know, the Pharisees are like, the Sadducees are like whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside, but they're full of dead men's bones. Because that's backwards. It's backwards. God does his work from the inside out. God does his work in the secret places of us that nobody can see except for me and him. Sometimes I can't even see it. But that's how he chooses to work. And so what am I going to do? Oppose his way? Now that's really stupid. Am I going to try to make something look like it's not? Just so that I can appease the people around me? No. The devil's good at getting you to judge yourself. 
and you need to stop it. You need to stop it. You need to stop that process in your life. So you look at 2 Timothy 4.18. Second Timothy four eighteen. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Alright, so what does that verse tell you? What does it tell you? Let's tell you about God's part. He's going to rescue you, right? Yeah. Right. So he tells you about his part. What's your part in that? Get rescued. <laughs> right? Now I know that sounds silly, but I'm going to share something with you that I learned years ago when I was in the business of trying to help people that were sick or there was some problem going on with them during an emergency situation. Sometimes, when you go to help people, when they're in an emergency crisis situation, they will fight you because they're afraid. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it does happen. That you'll go to help somebody and they're going to fight you. They're going to try to hurt you. Hey, if you've ever worked, uh, you know anybody that was a lifeguard, and you've ever worked uh, in any situation around water, one of the things they warn you about if you're going to try to rescue somebody in water is that they will pull you under water with them because they're desperately trying to stay above the water. And that's just, and although it's counterintuitive, it happens. That's a fact. That is a fact. I've had people that have been in car accidents fighting me, trying to get them onto a stretcher. People who have been in car accidents fighting me, trying to cut them out of the uh, seatbelt that's jammed in place. People fighting me, trying to put some kind of oxygen on them so they can breathe. People fighting me for all kinds of things. It's going to help them. It's going to get them out of the situation that they're in, fighting the whole way. And so... You read a verse where our God is going to rescue us out of every situation. Well, what's your part? What's your part if you're scared? You need to trust Him. What's your part if you're, you're afraid you're going to drown? You need to relax and let Him save you. And let Him rescue you. Something in your mind Something in your consciousness needs to kick in and stop fighting the rescue of Jesus in your life. And you might be in a situation where it's out of your control, but you're so desperately trying to control it anyway that you're fighting against what God is really trying to do. Stop. Let Him do what He does. And he's about rescuing you. Second Timothy 4.18 He's about rescuing you out of any and every situation. Let him. Let him. Stop thrashing. Stop flailing. 
Stop trying to pull him under. Relax. Let him do what he does. God is ready and wants to pour out mercy. He does. In each of our lives. He's pouring out mercy in our lives. And I want to encourage you to receive it. I want to encourage you to receive it. If you look at your life, I want you to think about this for a second. There's a lot of great things that have happened in your life. What would happen if those are the things you talk, that you really think about and dwell on? What if it was the really great things that have happened in your life, the, 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 the times of accomplishment, the times of blessing, the times where you've seen the miraculous or the loving or the merciful happen in your life? What would happen if you let those begin to define you instead of your failures? Or instead of your mistakes. Or instead of your bad decisions. What if it was really those awesome times? And, and likely they're a lot more numerous than the bad times. Likely, day in and day out, you've got more good going on every day than you do any kind of bad. And what if, just start with your day. What if you let that define your day instead of what went wrong? Why do you let, what went right? Flip the script. Huh? Flip the script. It is. But it's, it's a valid, it's not a mental, but it's not just a mental game. It's a valid perspective that I think God has. And if we want to start thinking more like God, we want to start thinking more like Jesus. We want to start thinking more like the way God does. Let his mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus. That mind, if that mind is in you, then this is part of that mind. It's beginning to define things by what's gone right and living in that. David defined his life by what went right. Look at what he wrote there. He wasn't defining his life by what went wrong. He was defining by what went right. And so many things went right. Day in and day out, week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. How many things went right in the life of David? For a, a shepherd boy, an obscure shepherd boy, to become not only a military hero, but the king of Israel. The greatest king that Israel ever had. What had to go right there? A bunch of stuff. Not just once either. But continually going right, going right, going right, and going right throughout his life. And he chose to define himself that way. When we talk about forgiveness, I want you to, to really think about this for a second. You need to, to take hold of forgiveness in your life when the mercy is fresh. When you experience fresh mercy, in your life, that you need to take hold of that because you're most affected by it at that point and give thanks. That's the point you need to give thanks. Because there's something about giving thanks while mercy is fresh that allows for affection to grow in you toward the giver of mercy. 
Like, wow, that was super merciful. Let me give thanks for that now. Because my heart is being affected by it. My life is being affected by it. My spirit is being affected by it. My circumstance is being affected by that mercy. And I'm going to give thanks right now. And it's in that moment that encourages the growth of affection in our heart and our lives because we give her the mercy. Don't wait around. Don't wait for a convenient moment. Don't wait for another time. A more dignified, whatever. It's just time to give thanks. As you're being affected by something, to give thanks for it. There's this idea that uh, sin is forgotten. Now I'm going to say this not out of a logical, scientific spot. I'm going to say this out of the way that God expresses it. And the only way that I can understand it isn't so much of, well, you know, God forgets something. Because how can he forget anything? He's an infinite being that knows everything. He is omniscient. There's no forgetting. Okay, in that sense. But I also know he's a God who has revealed himself and he shows us and tells us that he does forget when specifically it comes to sin in our life. That he's made an exception somehow. How do you do that? I don't know. He just let us know that he did. What do I mean by that? Let's look up a few verses. Somebody look at Psalm 103 and verse 12. Psalm 103, 12. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Alright. So that gives us a hint as to how he does it. Alright? He takes our sin and he removes it from us. In other words, he disassociates it from us. Again, how does he do that? He's God, he can do anything. But he chooses to disassociate our sin from us. That's what that verse talks about. Look at another verse. How about Isaiah one eighteen? Isaiah one eighteen. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Alright. Come now. Some of your Bibles say, let us reason together. But, uh, you know, the, the idea behind that phrase is, let's settle the matter. In other words, let's look at it, let's discuss it, and let's come to a conclusion as to what it means. Alright? Let's settle the matter. That's what God wanted to do with us. He says, though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. Though they'll be crimson, they'll be completely white. Now, if you, anybody here ever have a stain on something? Alright. Do you know there's a stain on it? 
Do you? All right. Now let's say you get yourself one of those fancy tide sticks or something, right? You rub it into it, you rub the stain, you rub the stain. Now you're pretty upset you got a stain. Let's say it's on a nice, you know, white pair of pants or something, you got a stain. I don't have any white pants, but I just pretend. We'll just pretend. Alright, so you got the stain. You rub your tie stick on it, you wash it, you get it out, and the stain is completely gone. Now, was there a stain there? Yeah. Now, does it matter if there was a stain there at this point because it's gone? No. And you may forget in an amount of time that there's no stain, that there was ever a stain there. Why? Because it doesn't matter. It's gone. So, what would be the only discussion about that for the future? How awesome tie sticks are. Right. Follow me on this. I'm not worried about the stain anymore. You follow this? I'm more interested in the tie stick. Because the tie stick were great. And it's awesome. And so if there's another stain, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use a tie stick on it. And so then I'll wash it again and it's going to be gone. And I'm going to be super excited about the tie stick. Well, we got Jesus, okay? We got Jesus. And He's taken away our sins. And He's taken away our sins. And He's taken away our sins. Why are we worried about the sin? Follow me? Why am I worried? It's gone. It's not on my white pants anymore. If I had white pants, I wouldn't have any on there. It's gone. What am I really impressed with? Jesus. I'm impressed with Jesus because He got the stain out. Every time I wear those pants, I ain't got to think about that stain anymore. That's the advantage of not having it on my white pants. Why would I think about it? Well, if it was on my white pants, and people were staring at it. But I used the tie stick, it's off my white pants, don't care about it anymore. It's gone. So I'll sing the praises of my tie stick. Or I'll sing the praises of my Jesus. Because what was there is gone. Gone, and what's left looks brand new. Come, let us settle the matter. Settle the matter. Let's settle the matter and be done with it. Last verse here, uh, Micah, Micah seven nineteen. again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our inequities into the depths of the sea. Right. So in other words, again, do you hear him? Do you hear what he's trying to tell us? Settle the matter, because he has. Just settle it. Forget about it. Forget it. Move on. Let's say a little thing here. There is no sea of forgetfulness in the Bible. That's just the saying. But there is space on these verses. That's the idea. It's just the saying. You can look it up. I know you don't believe me. You can look it up. 
but it's what it is. But the idea is, is that we need to settle it. We need to settle it. We need to settle it. God already settled it. You need to settle it. I need to settle it. David settled it. Jesus settled it. We're done. Stop. Bottom of the sea is a long way away. Don't care. Don't care. Not gonna affect me. Way gone, way far away. As far as the east is from the west. Uh, it's kind of a circle, but I'm not gonna feel it again. Way far away. Not worried about it. Since scarlet, the white as snow now. That problem's in the past. Gone. Not worried about it. David does something here and he he says that God would recompense him according to his righteousness. He used the phrase my righteousness. You gonna tell me he didn't understand that his sin was as far as the east is from the west? You gonna tell me he didn't understand that though his sin would be as scarlet, they'd be made white as snow? You know, tell me that that sin wasn't cast into the dust of the sea? Of course it was. He settled it. He settled it, it was done, it was gone, and now he's singing the praises of his tide stick. Because <laughs> that's what matters. And that's really what he's doing, he's singing the praises of his God. Because that's what matters. But he understood that like, the other stuff that he cares. This is what I care about. My God. That's what I care about. He says, so God will give according to my righteousness. You see, that, that's his confidence. That's his confidence. God, give me according to my righteousness. And if you cringe, mm-hmm. like if you were to say that, God, recompense me according to my righteousness. Would that make you cringe a little bit? Well, you may want to begin to redefine a few things. You may. You may be going to begin to believe God for what He says and leave behind what needs to be left behind and settle the matter. In my mind, if I say my righteousness, I automatically think the righteousness of Christ. Do I want to be recompensed according to the righteousness of Christ? Yes. Yeah, I do. No cringe. And so, the God is shown here, and there's a, a few places here where it talks about in the psalm that David wrote, where God's stretching out his hand. And the word picture you have of God stretching out his hand is he's stretching out his hand from on high down into the abyss. And the idea behind the abyss is the many waters, troubled waters, haters. And God stretching out his hand into the abyss, down into those many waters, and he's pulling us out time and time and time again. And David saw his life that way. He saw his life as a series of God reaching into the abyss to pull him out. Moses, in his name, that's what his name meant. 
be drawn out of many waters. And that's the picture of Moses. That's the picture of, of him. And you know the story of Moses. He got floated down. And, and Pharaoh's daughter got him to save his life. And he was drawn out of the many waters. And he was delivered. He was saved through that. And, and that's his story. And so David looked at his life. He said, well, that's my story too. How many times have I been in many waters, meaning bad spots, and God reached out his hand and drew me out? How many times have I been in the abyss and God reached out his hand and drew me out? How many times have I been in, in bad situations, circumstances? And notice I'm not even asking how you got there. I'm not. I don't care. But how many times have we find ourselves in those situations that God reached out his hand and draws us out? Well, that's mercy. And what do you do when mercy's fresh? Thank Him. Because it's at that point when you're most affected by His mercy that affection grows in your heart if you'll thank Him for it. Is that so obscure you can't understand that or is that too simple? Can you think you could do that when mercy is fresh to thank Him for it? I know I keep saying it. I don't know if anybody's hearing it. Yes. And I want you to understand that. So it seems like a simple thing, and it is a timing thing. It's something that needs to happen when it needs to happen. And not when we feel like it, it's when it needs to happen. So when we, when we think is it's when it needs to happen, right then. An affection will grow in you if you will allow that and allow the time for that. You know, as we come right down to it, as we finishing up these verses, when it comes right down to it, God's definitions of stuff are not ours. The way He sees things and the way we see things. And it's upon us, the burden is upon us to change the way we're seeing things and to bring that into line with how God is seeing things. If God's looking at the big picture, He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, He's seeing the big picture, then as big a picture as we can possibly see, that's going to bring us closer to his vision of whatever circumstance we're talking about. It's going to be closer to how he sees our lives, closer to how he sees our situation, closer to how he sees the things that are going on around us are going to be from a bigger perspective and not from this narrow view, <coughs> this hyper-focused view that sometimes we allow ourselves to have. Because I'll tell you something, and maybe you can agree or disagree with this, but the more hyper-focused you are, likely, the less godly your thoughts. And, that, and I'm just, I'm just going to say that. Because that's not his perspective. The big picture perspective. I mean, you think about Jesus on the cross. He's got all these people hating on him, right? He looked at him and he's like, well, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's a big perspective being under some torture. That's a big perspective dying in the sun. Okay? That's a big perspective talking about people that just swung a hammer and nailed you onto a piece of wood. Big perspective. But that's more godly than just looking at that guy thinking to yourself, I'm going to get your family. See? You hyper-focus on something too much. The less godly that's going to be because that's not how he sees things. It's not how he perceives things. 
how he deals with things in our life. And so I encourage you that our definitions probably are not his. And a lot of things. And we need to begin the process of letting that change in our life. And the beginning of this passage where it talks about David, and, and then you'll see it at the end, where it talks about, it says, And David, the son of Jesse, said. And then we have all these words. And then all the words that follow afterwards. That word said, and I know this is going to seem kind of weird, but I want you to hear this. That word said is a specific word that's only used when God's talking in the Bible. And this is the exception to that. When David, the son of Jesse, said what he's saying here. And so what we understand from that is that this word is only used when God is speaking directly, or as we see here, when God's prophet is speaking from the mouth of God. So I want to encourage you to receive it. I want to encourage you to receive it. I know David wrote it. I know he was talking about his life. And I know he was giving thanks. I know he was giving praise. I know he was testifying to God's goodness, to God's mercy, to God's grace, to God's blessing, to God's provision, and all the things over his life. But I want you to hear something. This is God speaking to us. God speaking to us. And all I can do is encourage you to back up a little bit, to allow your eyesight to back up a little bit, and allow yourself to begin to take on the mind of Christ a little bit more tonight. Allow yourself to begin to take on the perspective of Jesus a little bit more tonight. Allow yourself to begin to see your life and to begin to see the things around you more like God sees them or Jesus sees them tonight. It's freeing. It's more joyful. It's more peaceful. There's more rest there. There's more life. All of those things are, are things that God has promised us and told us and encouraged us into. All those things are. And they're all there. We're going to have to step back a little bit. We're going to have to see things differently. We have to understand things differently. For some of us, we're going to have to let go. Let go. The past is the past. Today is today. And we don't know about tomorrow yet. The bigger picture we can see, the better we're going to be. The more godly our thoughts are going to be. Our decisions are going to be.
Let's just take a moment, and I encourage you to take a moment before God right now. Kind of rest into His Word. Whatever He's speaking to you tonight. Maybe He's speaking to you about majoring on the negative. To the point that you're really missing all the good. All the good today. All the good this week. All the good this month. All the good this year. All the good this decade. His deliverance, His love, His grace, His mercy. His forgiveness, His provision. Let's just keep things from a little bigger place right now. Today may have not gone the way you wanted it to, but I bet some of it did. In context of a bigger picture of today, I bet a lot of this past week did. And in context of this past week, I bet a lot of this past month did. We're honest about it. And a lot of this past year. And the years after that. Thanks, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your protection. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your cleansing. I just want to say thanks that you take what's crimson and you make it white as snow. Thanks. For that which is scarlet, just be white as wool. Thanks for casting things out into the depths of the sea. For throwing things as far as the east is from the west, or move things from us that far, to separate us from those things in our life that far. Thanks. Because that's your choice. Pray, God, that we go about our lives in a bigger place, in a more expanded place, in a wider place than we have. You're good to us. You're good to us. You're so good to us. I pray our affection for you would increase every day. Give you thanks tonight. Give you thanks. As he says in Jesus' name. Screw you, Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies.
That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community. Like the comunidad. No, yeah, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Okay, we, we homies. You know, yeah. 